One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show where we dive into our guests' past using the connection between music and memories to take them back to the big moments in their lives. Our guest today is Dr. Ebony Green. Ebony's been a teacher, principal, district leader, and is now a nationally recognized champion for equity at the Institute for Student Achievement, where she supports school districts nationally to ensure equitable outcomes for all students. Dr. Green is taught as an adjunct professor at Mercy College, Pace University, is currently serving at Bank Street College in New York City, and Fornham University, where she teaches a course that examines the impact of prejudice. She was kind enough to connect with us remotely for this interview, hosted by Mike Canary. Here's the show. Hi there, Ebony. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. Thank you so much for doing this. Where are you, by the way? I am in New York. In New York. Are you in a, a home office or something like that? I am, for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, you sound great remotely. Thank you so much for doing it this way. We really appreciate your time. Have you listened to any music yet today? I have not. No? Is music listening part of your normal routine, or is today an outlier? It's an outlier. Usually I listen to uh, typically gospel music in the morning to get myself situated. Hmm. Um, when you're working at home, like sitting at your computer, do you have music playing, or do you prefer it to be quiet? No, I have music playing. Yeah, and that's sure. that gospel kind of stuff usually? Well, sometimes it depends on the mood, right? So I'm very go with the flow. So there are moments I, I wake up and I'll you know set my tone with my usual music. And then in the course of the day, I might go from like Creed to India Irie to country. Like, you know, so I try to uh, make sure I'm always expanding my music catalog. So I try to do like uh, Spotify's... Um, uh, they give you know they give you the daily uh, playlist, and uh -huh. so I try to jump into those so that there's always some difference in my day. Very cool. Um, okay, so where did you grow up, and how would you describe the musical background of your childhood? So I grew up in uh, New York, in upstate New York, a place called Pine Bush, um, and so my upbringing was really full of Motown. Uh, tons and tons of Motown music, everything from teenagers to Four Tops to Temptations, Marvin Gaye. You know, like it's it was a huge. Um, it was definitely a, a piece of all the ways in which we showed up was really was really rooted in some sort of R and B or uh, Motown. Um, is that what your parents were listening to? Is that how you were being exposed to that? Yes, for sure. Hmm. Do you have any musical memories associated with grandparents? Um, I think my, my grandparents were, um, kind of bluesy folks. So we would, and, and jazzy folks. So we would do like Duke Ellington and BB King and, you know, so it, you know, it seems like it was one of the things that was passed down through, uh, my family. Hmm. If I ask you to flashback uh, and try to re revive a memory of, about music somehow that's as early as possible, what would flash into your head? I think the earliest music selection would be the Temptations Christmas album. Um, yeah, because I, I, we were listening to that uh, repeatedly since I was probably, I mean, my earliest memories, maybe four or five. Um, and so that absolutely is like center stage in terms of an album. And it's one that to this day, I listen to every holiday season. I really love that album. Uh, a mini little story that I have, I'm sorry, but uh, it was last Christmas and I was walking like uh, in a mall here. It's called Coconut Mall. And uh, they were playing just music, and it was an outside mall, and they were just playing music, Christmas music, because of the season. 
and I hear a familiar song, and I'm like, wait a minute. I know that voice. That's Eddie Kendricks. This is the uh, Temptations Christmas album. And I pull up my Shazam and, and sure enough, I was right. Yeah, I, I'm a big Temptations fan. Jared is a huge Temptations fan. He never takes, he never passes an opportunity to shine about the Temptations. <laughs> um, uh, so describe like if you, I don't, I don't want to guess how old you are, but would this have been played on albums? Would it have been played on CDs? Just kind of paint a picture of being a kid and listening to it and where you would have been and what that scene would have been like so it would have went from albums to cds um for sure uh and we are very much a musical family so literally i can still see it playing if i close my eyes on the record player that was uh, attached to the huge you know back in the day they had these huge stereo setups with the big speakers etc um all the way up to when we transferred over to uh cds you know and then now obviously most people stream it now, do you have physical form music these days or are you purely streaming? So I am purely streaming uh, right now, but I will say I just purchased a record player two weeks ago mm. because um, one, I have a love for vinyl. So I want to be able to go and kind of get some of the greatest hits that I really value and be able to play them on uh, record players. Um, this may have overlap with your last answer, um, but um, can you recall a time when you were a kid that music moved you somehow that, you know, it touched you in a way that that stayed in your memory? Um, yeah, you know, interestingly enough, one of the songs that I really thought about over the last um, couple weeks thinking about uh, this uh, conversation was uh, Dance With My Father by Luther Vandross. Um, so my father passed away when I was young. I was seven. And I remember hearing that song and it always being something that really stuck with me. Even to now, I can hear the song and it could put me back in a place of when I was younger. Do you remember the first music that you owned that was something that you considered yours? I want, well, strangely enough, probably the first music, it was, if it wasn't the first, it was close to the first was Anthrax, <laughs> random, because <laughs> um, <laughs> for whatever reason, like that was a thing when I grew up that I really liked based on, you know, my friend uh, group. So yeah, I think, I would think it was Anthrax that I probably was one of the first and maybe, um, I don't know, I'm th- I know there's s- several R&B folks that I used to listen to, um, but I, I, I don't know. As soon as you answered the question, I thought of like, well, Anthrax was definitely one of them, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is so out of line of what most people who know me would ever have imagined. And that's the beauty of this show is we get to those details. Um, did you have or do you have any brothers or sisters? And if so, did you influence them or vice versa musically? Yeah. So I have a brother and I have a sister. My sister was very much uh, the R&B person. So there's a lot of early R&B that I would listen to, like Keith Sweat or Babyface, you know, those kind of groups growing up. Uh, So she definitely influenced me with that. Um, And I want to say my brother was more uh, around probably like similar to the rest of the family in in terms of musical selections. Um, But I think both of them naturally influenced me, uh, me. But I also will say, I think our parents and their selections influence them. So it's this beautiful give and take of passing down tradition that I think to this day, we still like, we'll text each other a song and say, oh, listen to this one, Patti LaBelle, all the greats, um, and still, you know, connect in that way. What did your parents think about Anthrax? Oh, they hated it. Um, and, and I want to say, uh, you know, I think one of the general um, thoughts uh, about all of our music selection, especially my brother and I, because we're, we're far closer in age, was that it was, you know, that's when music was 
more and more inappropriate, right? So for them, it was like, okay, we have these amazing R&B greats and here you go messing it all up with this other kind of music that is far more, uh, I don't know, aggressive or, or noisy or, or less respectful, if you will. Um, but they would say the same thing, or my mom at that point would say the same thing about um, some of our hip hop selections, right? So Biggie, you know, all the things, Tupac, um, you know, I think it was an interesting uh, Ice Cube. It was an interesting turn of events in terms of like moving from R&B to really kind of listening more to rap. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of like they, they didn't love it. Uh, and they would they we were not allowed to have music that cursed. So it was almost like this coveted secrecy that we would form to listen to the music that was uh, deemed inappropriate. It was your sibling contraband. Um, <laughs> exactly. um, uh, instruments, did you play or were instruments being played around you? So um, instruments were not played around me, but I play the djembe, uh, conga, uh, congos, and the uh, um, ashikos. But I didn't learn that until I was in grad school because I went to uh, live in West Africa for some time. Hmm. And that's where I picked up um, the skills for those. Hmm. Uh, last question before we get to your first song is, um, do you remember the first music that you saw performed live that wasn't you know, like a church choir or something like that, like a show of some kind? Um. Hmm, that's a really good question. I want to say it was either India Irie, Mary J. Blige, it was random. It probably wasn't Mary J. Blige. I think it was India Irie, um, or it was um, a reggaeton artist called Donald Mar, uh, and Tego Calderon, and they came out. Um, I want to say, because I didn't go to concerts until uh, my adulthood, so I want to say it was one of those, those two. Understood. Okay, well, let's get to your first song. This is uh, the Marvin Gaye song. Would you like to tell a story about it first? Would you like to listen to it? How would you like to proceed? Um, I'll tell the story first, um, and then we can kind of jump into it, um, if that works. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah, so Marvin Gaye reminded me, uh, when I selected the song, my biggest uh, thought process in selecting songs was what was something that fundamentally rooted me in a moment um, that I could retrieve, right? That that also brought me great joy or reflection. So that was kind of the mindset I had. And Marvin Gaye for me was um, not just that song, but all of his music, but that song particularly was a conversation on Sunday morning, right? And the, the impetus for me um, kind of retrieving that was around, my parents were um, civil rights activists. Um, and so they always raised me to kind of think about the world in a way that said, how do we make it better? Um, and so that song particularly was of great importance because it, it's something that even to this day, I get to think about and um, just remember like the smells of a Sunday morning with my mom cooking breakfast and the conversation and the dialogue we'd have about changing the world and what was our roles and the expectations around um, being able to look back in your life with a legacy of change and improvement. And so it's one fundamentally rooted me in who I am, but two, I get to retrieve a memory with my dad and mom together really thinking about um, what was happening in the world at that particular time. Um, you know, kids often push back against what their parents are trying to pass down. Were you at all pushing back against that idea or were you all in? Um, I was all in. I mean, uh, you know, where I grew up, uh, we were the only family um, that looked like me. And so it was 
interesting to just think about how do we make a place where we can all just be. And so through just my learnings and experiences, I solely believe that one of our jobs as people are to, are to be great people and to do our best to help make sure that everyone in the world gets to be who they want to be or need to be in order to make it better. Hmm. Well, let's listen to this song. But uh, before we play it, describe uh, the scene, you know, paint us a little picture for radio of you sitting at the table. What did the kitchen look like? Things like that. Um, from that time? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a dining room table. It had uh, four, seats. four seats. Yeah, four seats. I was right off of the kitchen. There was a, a cutout that that you could see from the living room into the kitchen. And so my mom would be cooking and she always would make like uh, Sunday morning biscuits or bacon. And so you could smell it and kind of talk and laugh and smile. Um, uh, yeah. And so uh, and then there was a wall to uh, when you sat at the table on the left side of your well, depending on which side you sat, that was wooden. It was still wood paneling. Um, and so it had a little rustic flair to it. Um, and yeah, that was that was kind of the setup. All right, let's listen to this. This is Ebony Green's first song here on Three Song Stories today. This is What's Going On by Marvin Gaye from his 1971 album of the same name. When was the last time you listened to that? Uh, probably two weeks ago. Yeah? Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's one of, like, I have a playlist of certain songs that I always play, depending on just kind of where we are out in the world. And so that was one of them on the playlist. You know, that was the very first song on our very first episode back in February of 2018. Uh, that was their, the first guest's song. And uh, we talked about at the time, it just seemed like that was such a, you know, that song says so much that's so relevant now. And here we are coming up on five years later, and it's even more relevant now, right? Yeah, for sure. Hmm. What were you thinking about while you were listening to it? Um... Just the level of um, disconnection in the world. Um, you know, I think we sometimes get lost in a nuance of like every day that we forget that um, uh, our understanding of our role in the world um, is important. And when I say our role, like I really believe that every single human has the potential to spread love and light in places. And it was in that moment where you're kind of looking around and feeling like folks have forgot what it feels to love and to extend grace and compassion and empathy and wondering how much it's required for us to do it for ourselves first um, before we can co-create that for someone else. Hmm. How old would you have been in that scene that you painted for us? (sighs) Probably, I don't know, six or seven. Like I was pretty young the first time I heard that. uh, I was probably like, five is I want to say five or six like I wasn't old at all um and I don't even know why that song stuck with me because I don't remember a lot from my childhood uh and so it only leads me to think about potentially how important it was in my subconscious to retrieve that and keep that memory does your approach to life now still just stem back and root back to those times and those conversations with your parents it sounds like there's a pretty straight line yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've, uh, you know, it's a, my life has been a journey, so I'll go left and I'll go right. <laughs> yeah, some zigs like, along the way, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, you know, like I think, like I'm a huge believer in um, just making the world better, and so obviously there's layers to that, and depending on the space that people have met me at, there are different versions of that, but but surely my entire life has been about making the world better, whether it was through education or working with kids or, um, you know, just all the things. 
Hmm. Um, let's talk about high school. What was uh, what was your style in high school, and where did you fit into the equation? Um, I really didn't fit in in high school, <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'll be real transparent with that. But um, I think at that point, I was kind of mixed in terms of what I listened to. So, you know, I did spend a lot of time listening to like, you know, the typical Mary J kind of um, hip hop at those times. But I also spent some time listening to, um, I'm trying to retrieve the group uh, as we're talking. Um, and th- the reason I want to retrieve it because it's a group that really focused on KRS-One and that kind of group of folks. And they focused on like, you know, activism and even in that time. And then I would obviously go also to like Anthrax and, you know, random DRI, Dead Milkman. So I was all over the place, really. You know, I listened to Little Metallica, Love Bon Jovi, you know, so I, I always um, listened to a really wide swath of music, um, irrespective of, of what time period in my life I was in existence. Uh, do you have any memories of being at a high school or middle school dance? And if so, what you would have been slow dancing to? Oh, no, that's a good question, though. But no, <laughs> I <really> don't. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. No, that's such a tough question. I would actually need to prepare for that question. Wow. Okay. Um, well, that's one that some people are. Some people really lock onto those memories, and some people <laughs> don't. We found it goes either way. Um, are you a dancer in general, though? Oh yes, I could. I dance really well. Um, I will say lately, though, the last probably ten years of my life, I I spent a lot more time listening to. Uh, Latin music, so um, bachata and salsa and reggaeton, you know, so that's, interestingly enough, if I was to go somewhere to dance, I probably would prefer to dance to salsa. Hmm. So when you were, excuse me, I have a frog in my throat. So when you were in high school, like, what did you see your life's trajectory doing? And did you do anything actively at that point to make that happen? Um. I, th- I think in high school, I knew, so in high school, I knew I was going to change the world, which is like legit true. Uh, and I say that because I remember my freshman year in college having a, a conversation with some newspaper, a local newspaper came and interviewed us. And funny enough, my mom still has the piece that I said, like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going to go change the world, you know, all this stuff, um, which is kind of funny because I didn't know how I was going to do it. But in my head, I was like certain that was going to happen. Um so that was definitely a focus. What was the other question? Well, just like, what did you, how, how were you going to change the world? Did you, did you, I know you went on to become a teacher. Was that the goal? No. So no, not at all. Uh, so one of the things that I did in high school that I think I'm, even to this day, I'm pretty, I'm sure it connects to where I ended up is I was in uh, Model UN, which was really, um, basically it was this program in school where every school was given a country and then you had to go, um, advocate on, on behalf of that country regarding some sort of justice issue in the in the UN. And so I remember going and doing that and feeling like, wow, this is really cool. One, to understand another country's perspective, but two, to be able to advocate on the behalf of, of things that are wrong in the world. And so I'm sure that was probably one of the things that actually made me move to the space to continue that. And when I graduated, actually, um, the only thing I knew at high school was that I was going to college. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do in college, but I knew I was going to graduate because my mom was very clear about her expectations. And both of my parents were very much invested in believing that education gave you a gateway and access to being able to further impact the world. And so, 
going off to college was something I knew was not a, a negotiation point. Um, and I felt like that was the way into doing something epic. So, um, yeah, so that that's kind of the only thing I knew in high school was like, you got to go to college and figure it out. So when you <laughs> went to college, what did you study? What was like your first major? My first major was uh, physical therapy. Um, that changed fast though, Mike, because I wasn't really, I didn't love science. And so that was more like, I'm going to go do this thing. And then I was like, yeah, no. Uh, and then I became a psychology, uh, major and an art minor. Um, because at that time I really liked art and, um, and one of the, the subjects that I really, really enjoyed was sociology. But again, it was about, you know, the differences in how people coexist and what forms communities and how, you know, all of those social sciences um, aspects really um, kind of resonated with me. So while I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, I focused a lot of my time taking, you know, psychology and sociology courses. Um, And funny enough, I ended up taking uh, sign language because I already kind of spoke Spanish and sign language would have, uh, is what actually got me into my first job, which was having to do with, um, which wasn't education specifically. I was working as an interpreter and a counselor in a maximum security prison, hmm. interestingly enough. <laughs> hmm. How long did you do that? Uh, three years. So I went from undergrad straight to grad school, graduated and took that job. And I did that for probably three years. And in fact, there's timestamps in it because... Once 9-11 happened, I remember saying to myself, um, I don't want to die and not know that I didn't make a dent in this world, which is crazy. But I think working in a prison helped me understand the the sadness and despair around wasted talent. Um, and in that process, I said, well, what can I do? Because, you know, at 9-11, no one knew kind of what was going on. I was like 20, early 20s. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go work with these folks' kids um, so that they don't come here. Hmm. And so that actually was the the catalyst for me going into education because I wanted to start at the beginning and not the end so that potentially I could shift the trajectory of uh, generations of children. Was that a program that existed or did you you just sort of make that become a thing? Which which part? Working with kids of people who were in prison, because that's really oh, that's well, really interesting. Yeah. So no, it wasn't a program. What I knew at that point was that I knew the communities that the men that I worked with came from, and then I really started to think about what are the things within those communities that provide space for expansion or deny access, right? Um, and so once I understood where the kids came from, I literally signed up for a program called uh, New York City Teaching Fellows. I had no idea how to teach. And um, when they asked me, what type of students do you want to work with? I literally said, the students that no one else wants to work with. Um, and so I was sent to the South Bronx and I started my education career working with children who at that point were considered size seven, which were emotionally um disturbed uh, youth. And from there is history, like from there was up. Maybe a strange question, but do you have any musical memories associated with that time with those kids? Did you ever listen to music with them or anything like that? Yeah. So crazy enough. um, Funny you said that. So one, it was probably one of the best times of my life ever. Uh, And part of that reason is because, so obviously I said that they're emotionally disturbed students. So my students would tap at the time, uh, kids would sit in classrooms and create beats by tapping. 
a pencil or a pen, typically a pencil. And they wouldn't let me teach. And I wasn't obviously a great teacher at that time. I was like brand new. Um, and I played the djembe, the congas, and the ashiko. And I had like nine of them in my house because at that time I was very heavily in playing every weekend. Um, and so I said to them, there was 12 students in the class. And I said, listen, if you let me teach, I will help you channel the tapping into drumming um, on your lunch period. And I don't know what, like how awesome it was, but they were like, all right, we're all in. So I went and I got, I brought my drums in um, and I also bought buckets and drumsticks and I would teach them. They would, you know, do the assignments that we were supposed to do. And then for their lunch periods, I would teach them how to drum with the buckets and the, the congas and shikos and djembes. And I, I'm telling you this story with such a wide smile on my face because hmm, hmm. Those kids ended up going to the Apollo to perform. I get goosebumps. And it was the only special ed group in the entire city that was able to perform in the, in the United Way showcase. And I think in that moment, I realized, um, one, the importance of belief, two, uh, the need for innovation in the way that we educate kids, and three, how much untapped potential young people have, which goes which is often missed if we don't take the time to really figure out um, how to channel the things that they're doing in a way that says, I see you, let me help you create and, and do something different to channel that in something really positive. So it was a really beautiful moment, I think, in my educational career, which I will always genuinely appreciate. And I want to say, if my students ever hear this podcast, that I absolutely learned far more from them during that experience, I think, than they ever learned from me. Well, I'm sure glad if I, I'm sure glad I asked you if you had any musical memories because that's a beautiful story. Thanks. Yeah, hmm. it really is. Um, okay, well, let's do your second song now. This is uh, Daphne Willis, right? Yes. So, uh, what what would you like to do? Um, I think we should play this song first and kind of sit ourselves in, in the words and then I think we should I'll explain it beautiful let's do it this is I Am Enough by Daphne Willis uh, from the album Awake Now released in 2020 it's Ebony Green's second song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories so what's the story? this song came at a time where I really was kind of lost and I say lost to the extent of, you know, we lose things, relationships, experiences, whatever. Um, and in that moment you are kind of undone, right? Uh, I was going to say broken, but we're never broken. We may be imperfect, but not broken. But um, when I heard this song, I had to like stop in my tracks and I'm like, who sings that song? And when, when I, uh, in that moment, it was a time where, trying to figure out um, how you fit into this world, right? Despite how, despite what other people want you to do and be, um, and that always is connected to my enoughness. So in that moment, it was literally a song that I played, I want to say every day, probably in 2019 and 2020, probably 2020 more. Um, and so I just always remember it as a song that really helped connect how important it is that you love you and if you don't love you, you can't love others, right? But you will tell yourself stories that say you're not enough, you're not valuable, you're not worthy, all these things. And then the second piece to uh, the story is that then I was doing a lot of training. So obviously 2020, the pandemic was here. So I had to shift my work to online trainings. Um, and this one, this is one of the songs I would use 
as an intro for folks to think about their enoughness, that no matter what, um, even in their mistakes or mistake making, that they always had a space um, of value and that it was really, really important to realize that with everything or nothing, you're still enough. Hmm. Uh, do you remember how you first heard it? Did it just happen to come across like your your playlist, you know, mix or something like that? No, someone was like, you got to hear this song. Mm. And I was like, what? Because they were like, have you ever heard of Daphne Willis? And I was like, no. And they're like, you got to hear the song. And funny enough, the first time they heard the song was in Florida. Uh, I guess she had done like, I guess there was a time where people would come to the home and perform for like a bunch of people. So folks would like have 30, 40 people, like listening parties. And yeah, she yeah. came and played in Florida. Um, and so she ended up saying, you have to listen to this song. Cause I tend to listen to anything that has of me, you know, has meaning to it. And I heard this song and I was like, wow, like, I don't know who she is. Um, but this is amazing. Like this song is amazing. And so it's one of those things that I will recommend to people. I will play places because I think, you know, even now I follow her and, and such, and I don't think she gets the credit for the genius of that song and many of her other songs. Hmm. You know, I believe that sometimes you can experience something and you can kind of almost feel the future in it. Like, you know, like when you heard that song, you knew that it was going to be a thing that was going to be a part of your future. And sometimes mm. I think you can feel that. And that must have, may have been a case with that song with you. Yeah. And then I also say, if you get a chance, if you look at the video of it, uh, she uses a lot of graphics. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's just I, to this, like, it is an amazing song. Um, and I literally, I wish you you could see me because when I when it's playing, I was jamming out the whole time, <laughs> singing it word for word. Uh, so it's kind of like it became like this anthem in my life of when I have moments now that I'm not sure, I'm worried, or you know whatever it is, um, I, I go to that song to remind myself that no matter again, if with nothing or everything, you will always be enough. Hmm. Um, we talked about college. Where did you go to college? Uh, my undergrad college was Mount St. Mary's. Um, I'm like, <laughs> I'm a person who spent a lot of time in college. So I did undergrad at Mount St. Mary's grad school at Binghamton University, um, Mercy, and then City College, separate degrees. And then I went to SAGE to get my doctorate. And you got your doctorate in education? Yes. And was Educational that, leadership. Educational leadership. And and so uh, describe, you know, you talked about your first job was do, uh, working with the, the kids of the parent or, you know, working with people in prison. Um, what was your first, um, you know, proper teaching job? Uh, that was in the South Bronx in New York City. What grade level? Uh, middle school. Middle school <laughs> in like, South Bronx. Yeah. That sounds like <laughs> they could build, make a whole TV show about that. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so I first started, I believe there were, yeah. So I first started teaching uh, sixth graders and then through my career, I, my final year teaching, I taught eighth graders. Um, but yeah, I mean, middle school kids, I have such a smile on my face because they are hilarious for so many reasons. Um, and then you layer on like extra challenges and such. Uh, for sure, it was a very memorable uh, time. Uh, and I, I watched your TEDx talk and you mentioned being a principal. So you did some administration work in the K through 12, I think. Yeah, I was, uh, I was an assistant principal. I was a principal and then chief of equity before I left for, to work for a nonprofit. And so um, describe what it is you do now. I came across you because you had come to town to give a speaking engagement um, in Fort Myers. But describe the work that you do now. How, would you, you know, how do you describe yourself to somebody if you meet them at a cocktail party and they say, what do you do, Ebony? 
So my one line response is I help people align their words to actions. Um, and I say that because, uh, I, was, I really focus work in two ways. One, I work on, um, creating a sense of inclusivity and belonging irrespective of difference for companies and school districts and really focus from a system perspective on how does the system create space for everyone to show up, um, and, and live and live well and thrive. Um, and there's many layers to that, but for the purposes of a podcast, we'll, we'll leave it there. And then the other work I do is trying to help organizations to, again, align their words to action so that you have employees that actually feel seen, heard, and valued. And so um, thinking about organizational culture and climate, and, and that's really connected to a sense of like wellness um, and purpose. And, and, and so uh, the middle ground of that is uh, through a book that I wrote called Acts of Liberation that really focuses on you getting to your best version of you and how that version that that version is really kind of um, birth out of a, a real reflection of who you are um, and really acknowledging that you uh, all of us are more powerful than comprehension and so trying to figure out what's our purpose and so that generally is what ends up happening through the work to say how do we create spaces so everyone can show up and how do we create spaces that not only can I show up, but you value my humanity in that there's duality in my life, right? So I'm a parent and I'm a, maybe a wife and and uh, a worker, but um, companies should do a better job of creating space for their employees to um, lean into their wellness, right? Their mental wellness, the taking care of themselves, their physical care, all of those things. And so I help Companies who say we value our employees figure out systems and structures to really do these things so that they can retain excellent talent. Uh, tell us about the Institute for Student Achievement. I, I know you either worked with them or work with them. Yeah, so I, I left there uh, early September to work in my in my own current company, Cornerstone Equity. But prior to that, I was Institute for Student Achievement. It was a national nonprofit, and we spent time working with school districts focused specifically on diversity, inclusion, and equity. Um, and so, again, from the system level, I would help them, you know, kind of review, be reflective on their current systematic practice or the, the system's uh, theory that they wanted to adhere to in their districts and then say, okay, if your goal is to, I don't know, uh, ensure demography is not destiny, right? So where you, where you're born, doesn't mean you can't go beyond those, that community. Then what are the ways in which that's showing up in classrooms? And what are the ways in which you support your schools and your faculty to really be able to create space so that they become, they become liberatory, right? So our goal is, should not be to, um, create space for kids to become one thing. Our goal in education is to create space so kids get to choose from 10 things. And so how do we really design school, um, particularly in public schools, how do we design a system in schools that really make sure that children, as they go through the system, by the end of it, say, I can be all of these things and have options, right? And, And so with that, I always connect that to liberation in terms of like, being able to see multiple things that excite you and know that you're prepared and capable to achieve one of them or all of them. Um, you know, the idea that we need to actively build systems that have, you know, with equi- equitable outcomes as a goal is something that um, 
from my perspective, has come up more in the world in recent years. It may have been something that people in grad school and things like that. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you feel like that this is becoming part of the mainstream conversation in a way that maybe it wasn't 10 or 20 years ago? Um, I think it's become mainstream to many, um, but something that has always been a thing for those in, entrenched in schools in certain communities. Um, because it looks different, right? So when I was a teacher in the South Bronx, for me, it was, why do these schools not, you know, how come they're not safe or they're not, you know, there were issues in that, or why are we using this curriculum and not that curriculum? So I think for people who have been in education for some, a sub a subset of the population, uh, depending on what's, what's, what, what's in your, your backpack, so to speak, you always saw it as a problem and you tried to create space through education, whether you're a teacher, administrator, whatever. I think it's become mainstream for popular culture generally to think about it. The challenge is um, to ensure that the work gets done and the terms that might be co-opted take away from the idea that, for example, um, a student uh, who's neurodivergent or a student with autism should have space to find their best self. Um, and we have to make sure we create systems that allow them um, to live in a way that says, we want you to, to reach your, your fullest potential um, and not be a system that defines what their fullest potential will be. So um, I, I agree with you to say like the larger population is now kind of like, hmm, what is this thing and what does it mean and all that? But I think for educators, you know, we've always worked to kind of come to the middle and try to make sure that every student is served in a way um, that is most appropriate. Understood. And that's kind of what I felt was probably the case. But it's a, it's a situation with, with this uh, idea of, uh, you know, creating equi equitable outcomes is similar to, um, you know, mental health issues have become more in the mainstream now to where things that maybe only people inside certain systems thought about before, but now the public in general, I think, more understands that. And I'm mostly going to use our recent hurricane as an example because you know, the idea that people who've been through trauma need mental assistance has been put in the forefront, whereas in the past it wasn't. So it just feels like maybe there's sort of progress being made on certain fronts, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, for sure. And I think it came out of, um, I feel like mental health was like a spotlight was put on it at, right after COVID. Because if you think about it, we've all experienced PTSD as, as a collective group globally. Um, and so what we're really watching, some of it, is the manifestation of untreated trauma. Um, and so certainly I think people who would never even think about talking about it are now like, wait a minute, what's happening and how do we help? You know? Hmm. Um, I mentioned that you came across our radar because you were in Fort Myers. You were speaking with, uh, I think it was Progressive, Progressive Women of Southwest Florida. Um, you mentioned before that during the pandemic, you would use that song for your presentations. When you present in person, do you use music? Sometimes. Um, it depends on where I present uh, and what the message is um, that I want to lift up. I did not use music in um, Florida, but uh, that is, for example, one of the songs I would use. Understood. Okay, before we get to your third song, I want to talk about concerts. Have you been to many concerts in your life? You said you didn't really go to one until you were older. So what about like throughout the course of your life? Yes, now I've been to quite a few. Hmm. In fact, I went to one last Sunday. <laughs> what, what was the one last Sunday? Mary J. Oh, she yeah? She was amazing. Yeah, she was awesome. Uh, do you have a peak concert experience that flashes into your mind? 
I want to say one of the best concerts hands down I've ever seen. I mean, there's a ton, but most recent is the Elton John farewell concert was amazing. Amazing. He's amazing. Do you have a, do you have a favorite venue to go see a show at? Um, one of my favorite venues is, uh, Jones beach. Uh, I think it's the Hillfigure arena in long Island Hmm. in New York. Um, is there, it's outside. Is there ever, uh, have you ever had uh, the chance to see somebody who was a big act, a big sort of famous person, but in a, an intimate setting that wasn't, you know, that was sort of out of typical for them? Um, I mean, I don't know if, if maybe everyone would consider her a big act, but when I saw her, she was big in DIRE. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to see at the Hammerstein Ballroom, which is a pretty small venue. And so it was more like a, Someone came to dinner and sang for you, right? It was yeah. very tiny. Uh, it was pretty amazing. I heard an interview with her on NPR years ago, and I went down the rabbit hole, and she's something else, man. She's she's almost like magical. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, do you have a dream uh, musician or band to see live that you haven't had a chance to? Um, I, I mean – yeah, I do. I One who's passed away and two are alive. One would have been Prince, which I feel like I missed the boat and didn't get to see him. Uh, and then two people who I don't actually think even tour anymore, but would be amazing would be Sade and Tracy Chapman. Hmm. Do you ever have a chance to meet any musicians that were famous people? I No, none. I got to shake Patti LaBelle's hand once at a concert, which was to me really close so i was like I'll, I'll use that one but i didn't get to talk to her well, yeah, she was can, just you know how she is you, She's you can tell up. people you met her you know they don't need to know the details <laughs> <laughs> um okay it is time for your final song here um that's uh, the marvin sap song how would you like to proceed um i will i will tell the story okay um, so the reason that song is super important, um, and a, another really good time in life was just a reminder. So, you know, part of what I shared earlier is I left my prior, prior job and I'm now just working solely in building my own company and, um, and not to say my other job wasn't dope, shout out ISA, but the piece that was important is like you as a person have a dream, right? And if you have a dream, you do your best to move closest to that dream and kind of build those things. Right. And so, Part of the impetus for this song was really like the closer I got to having the courage to enter into entrepreneurship and to innovate, the more distractions would show up in my life. And I was like, what is happening? Right. And so what this song reminded me of is the closer you get to your path, your real purpose in life, the more tests or challenges you will experience. And it's really just about almost like the universe testing you uh, to figure out if you're really all in. Um, and it's also for you to realize that when you are focused on where you want to go, oftentimes you have to be firmly rooted in what you believe. How did you hear this song? How did it come to you? This song actually was an accident. So, um, the Marvin Sapp has another song that I've played on repeat for years called never would have made it. Uh, which is really about never would have made it without you know you and you being God, right? And so I was playing the full album one day and I was like, wait, what is this song? And it's funny because the song played at a time where it needed to play to remind me that I wasn't insane. It's like the closer you get and the more authentic you are and the more 
firmly rooted in faith you are, here are all these tests. And so it just was almost like um, affirmation that I was walking in the right direction. Let's listen to it together. This is Close by Marvin Sapp. It's the title track from his 2017 album of the same name. It's Ebony Green's third and final song on Three Song Stories. It's biography through music. I must be close. So what's that make you feel uh, listening to that here with us today? I get so excited <laughs> because I, part of the goal is like, I want everyone to realize like when you, like when you hear that song, like you are so close to what it is you want to create. And I just hope that, you know, when I'm listening to it, I'm thinking of all the people who doubt themselves so much. And it's like, keep going. You got this. You're so close, you know, like just because there's a line in it to whom much is given, much is required. It's like, you know, um, yeah, it's just an awesome song. It's super inspiring to me and it's exciting. Hmm. You know, it's funny what you mentioned about how, you know, some, how we can hear songs for sometimes years before we really listen to them and they somehow align. It's like the magic of music or something. For sure. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, musicals. Have you seen many musicals in your life? I have seen several musicals. Is Not that, a ton, but enough. A, that, lot, a lot of good ones. <laughs> like what? What like what would be your, your go-to musical? Um, I want to say Ain't Too Proud was amazing, which is actually about The Temptations. It was so amazing. Um, but I've seen a ton. I got, yeah, I've seen a, a ton. Like, I mean, I live in New York, so like Lion well, King. Yeah, I was going to say, you get to see him on Broadway, I guess. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so lucky. Um, do you have a, a, any favorite movie musicals, you know, films that are based around music? Um, actually, I don't, funny enough. Um, you know, one of the things that I really, really enjoyed, it was recently, it was, oh my gosh, it's like escaping me, Encanto. That mm, was an mm -hmm. amazing musical. I loved it. And I don't really watch uh, TV very often, so that's probably why I don't really have um, musicals as as. TV, but that was such an amazing um, musical. I thought it was really magical. I enjoyed it so much. I, I watched that on a plane, which was great, but it was also a little tiny screen, so it was kind of an interesting experience. Um, okay, we are going to put you into the speed round mode, so be ready for anything, okay? Got it. Do you have a nickname that has stuck over the course of your life that you would be willing to share? Uh, Eb or Ebby. Eb or Ebby. Um, side question, is your middle name uh, a color as well? It is not. <laughs> it's Indira. It's not a color. <laughs> okay. Um, when was the – well, uh, you said you just bought uh, a record player. Have you bought any albums for it yet? Because the question is, is when is the last time you bought music that has physical form? So I, I there's an album here that we're going to play, and it's the Rolling Stones album. So I bought it for a purpose. So I didn't buy new music, but there's already a Rolling Stones album here, which I'm super excited to play. That's brand new. What's the purpose? Well, it was given, the, the album was given as a gift. So then it was like, oh. I see. Get a record player. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you do karaoke? And if so, what would be your go-to song? I do not. Um, I'm a terrible singer, but if I had to pick a song, it probably would be off the Counting Crows album, August and Then, I believe. Oh. Because I know all those by heart. Oh, that's a great answer. I love that album. Um, if you were a championship wrestler, Ebony, what music would you enter the arena on? You know what came to mind? It's probably not the song, but in the quick round, it would be Eye of the Tiger. 
<laughs> what would your wrestler name be? I have no idea. Uh, the professor. <laughs> the professor. I told you to be ready for anything. Um, if you had to guess, what would you say is the song that you've listened to the most times throughout the course of your life? Uh, it, it actually probably is the Temptations album, all of them, because um, it's a Christmas album. It's the only album, I think, that I literally listen to every single year for an extended 30 days of time, the entire holiday season. Song you wish you could hear again for the very first time? Mm. Um, missing Everything But The Girl. Album you wish you could hear again for the very first time? Oof. It might be Sade, Ordinary Love, that album. Do you have a favorite song? I do not. That's okay. You don't have you don't have to have the answers to the questions. Um, you just have to let you know. Let us at least try. If you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet simultaneously and create a collective global experience, which song would you provide them? Um. In this particular moment, I probably would give them I Am Enough. Hmm. Yep. I think that uh, I, I wish everybody on the planet could hear that song at the same time. Um, are there any albums that you, you know, really just want to listen to in their entirety? Do you still listen to albums in their entirety or are you piecemeal? But is there an album that fits that category? Um, one album I always, I actually listen to probably yearly, I don't even know why, is Creed's album. I'm trying to, is it higher maybe? Um, I love Creed. And so that's one of those um, albums that I'll listen to the entire album and rock out for like an hour and a half. And then I'm good until like the next time. What album would you choose if you could only ever listen to that one album again? Because I'm sentimental, probably the Temptations Christmas album, because hmm. that has all the experiences that brought me joy and warmth and happiness. Was there a fourth song that you had to whittle off the list that you remember? And if so, give us the short version of whatever the story was. Um, yeah. So the other song I was trying to give you like give a array, but the other song that has just been heavy in my life for like a year and a half is um, Believe For It um, by C.C. Winan. And it just is a song that I had to accomplish something earlier this year. And it was really difficult. And um, I didn't think I'd be able to pull it off. And so I remember listening to that song on repeat for like two and a half months, knowing that in order for me to get it done, and it was good stuff, but it was just really tough. In order for me to get it done, something greater than me had to help me. And so I would listen to that song over and over and over again. And full, you know, full circle moment, I absolutely achieved it. So hmm. congratulations. Is there a band or musician that has come into your life recently, you know, that was is completely new to you? Yeah. You, well, it's not that I didn't know who she was. I didn't realize how dope she was, which is Pink, actually. I've become a huge Pink fan in the last six months. All right. One of our guests' uh, husbands is a huge Pink fan and drags her dra drags her to all the shows, which I thought was interesting because he's like a like a golfer guy in his fifties, but he's a huge Pink fan. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> that's what that's what he said. Apparently, um, Ebony, what would your fourteen year old self think of who you are with us today in this world? Ah, uh, that's such a cool question. She would be relieved that I learned to love myself. She'd be super, super proud. Any advice you'd like to send back in time to her? You're going to be okay, right? Like life is ups and downs, twists and turns. Um, 
but remember whom and who you belong to. Hmm. All right. It's time for you to recommend three people that you will share this with that you think we can get on. On the show? Yes. I was wondering, you didn't send those, so I'm wondering, was that a question that you had, we're off the record for the moment. Is that a question that you had even given any thought to? I didn't. I know one person that I think would just rock this out, and her name her name is Amy Patari. She had, what I tell you, she literally has probably been to a hundred, maybe thousands of concerts, like a music, music, music human. Um but yeah, I can send you the, the the three names, but she's definitely a person that would totally rock out on this pod. She would love it. She would totally love it. Okay, no worries. Yeah, just send me to those afterwards. Um, uh, all right, Ebony, you've done it. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? No, I just, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and this is really cool and just chop it up about music. And um, yeah, I just hope the world gets to a place where they realize that everyone has something amazing to give and they, they do it in whatever way works to make the world better. Cheers to that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. We make three song stories at the studios of WGCU Public Media on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Mike Canary is co-creator and host. Richard Chinqui is co-creator, producer, and host. Tara Callaghan is our online content producer and host. Audio production is by Jared the Intern Gonzalez. And Chris Duffis is our executive producer. Our theme song was written by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's Parting Tune, we're going back one year to episode 196 with Dr. Wilson Bradshaw, former president of Florida Gulf Coast University. That required me to go to summer school to take the biology course and pass it if I wanted to go on to 10th grade. So I did, but uh, Sam Cooke had a song out around that time, and it was called Wonderful World. The first line in Wonderful World is, don't know much about history, don't know much biology. Well, my loving brothers and sisters uh, took that up (laughs) as an anthem for the summer. And they taunted me with that the entire Well, you were going off to summer school. Right. (laughs) And I would hear, and literally every day I would hear some version of that song from one or more of my siblings. Uh, When you hear it now, does it make you regret failing biology? No, no, no. Or it just takes you back to that time? It just takes me back to that time. Mm. And uh, I showed biology who was boss. I mean, I have a PhD in psychobiology, (laughs) you know, so so who's the winner? (laughs) Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories, we've got something a little different planned.